When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know that internal debate over whether or not you should eat the pasta or bread? That is food drama. Stop stressing and start searching for balance. I can't believe it's not butter is the key. With 60 calories per serving and 70% less saturated fat than butter, you can enjoy it on foods you love. Simple. Cut the drama, not the taste, with I can't believe it's not butter. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 203, and today we are talking about books being released on April 9th, 2019, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Kelly Jensen, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hi, Kelly. Hello, how are you doing? I'm alright, how are you? I am alright, it's Friday, so I am I'm ready for Friday. Yes! <laughs> we normally record on Thursdays, but we had a bit of kitten drama yesterday. So, on my part, I've never had kittens that were this much work before. They're awesome, but wow. They just like to keep me on my toes. Which, maybe for you, is not a bad thing. Yeah, keeps me busy. (laughs) Nobody wants me, you know, to not be busy, because who knows what would happen. Um, So, it is Friday. It's gorgeous. Uh, I'm I'm ready to do this. Um, I was going to ask you a question, and now I can't remember what it was. Mm, This is your third show already. It is, yeah, and and it's getting a little easier, um, kind of figuring out what I'm going to talk about. But that last episode was was rough. It was a lot of reading in a short amount of time. Yeah, sometimes like everything sounds amazing, and then sometimes it's like, mm, yeah, it's, it's hard like to you'll choose. find you'll find one or two that you're like, yeah, I really want to talk about this, and you'll read a bunch that you're like, they're fine, but nothing that I like <laughs> can talk at length about, you know? Yeah. Well, that didn't happen to me today. Me Everything that I have is amazing. Very yeah, excited. Same. So I'm going to jump right into my first one, which is Descendant of the Crane by Joan He. It is this really decadent YA fantasy novel. It is everything that I wanted it to be. It is everything that I heard it would be. I loved every second of it. It's about a princess named Hasina. She's Princess Hasina of Yan. Uh, she, her father has died recently, um, and she thinks he was murdered. And the reason that she thinks this is because they found him. He was dead. Nothing seems to have happened to him. They take him, like, for an autopsy, sort of. The court physician looks him over and says, he's totally fine, looks at everything. And then when the court physician leaves the room, Hesina sees this, like, yellow mist come out of his body. And she captures it in a vial because she's like, this is poison. This is evidence. And nobody will believe her. So she decides she's got to find somebody else to help her out. So... She turns to her adopted brother. Uh, she has three siblings, and uh, she has a brother with her father, the king, and then the king adopted a brother and sister. So she has three siblings, and one of her brothers, the one most likely to know all the shady parts of their city, of their kingdom, uh, she says, I want you to find me a soothsayer. Now, soothsayers are banned in Yan. Like, you, 
you can't, they're not allowed, you're not allowed to say that you are one or practice or anything, but there's like some people in like the, the seedier parts of town that still do it. So her brother brings her to the soothsayer and I like, I always like those like hidden like prince or princesses, like hidden royalty scenes and like movies and books and stuff where like they disguise themselves to go out around the regular people. And so she goes off and she goes to the soothsayer and the soothsayer tells her that she can get help. She knows who will help her. It's going to be an ex-convict. And and he's going to represent her in court if she brings her case saying, like, my father has been poisoned. This this is how I know and this is why. And and so, like, Hazina's like, I didn't even want this stupid crown. Like, now I'm going to end up being queen and I didn't really want it. But now I want revenge and I want to be in charge because nobody's listening to me. So she finds this ex-convict. His name is Akira. And she's like, oh, this is not going to be the guy that helps me. This is not going to go well. But she gets to know him, and she finds out, like, he's really brilliant. And meanwhile, like, her advisors are telling her um, they think that a uh, neighboring kingdom is responsible for her father's death because they're trying to, like, incite a war for their own, like, political gain. And so she's trying to figure out, like, how to prove her father's murder, not reveal that she got her source from a sooth, and figure out who she can trust, which is, spoiler, no one. Uh, it's all about political moves. Plus, there's courtroom drama in a YA fantasy, which you do not see very often. It's awesome. And I just really love how she thinks for herself. And she makes mistakes. And I just love the twists and turns. It's so much fun. So, again, it is called Descendant of the Crane. And it's by Joan He. So, my first pick for the show is one that came out last week. So, it's been out for a week, um, but it hadn't been talked about yet. And it's one of my favorite reads so far this year. It's called The Honey Bus by Meredith May. And as soon as I I read the description for this memoir of a challenging childhood, I knew it was going to be one of my favorite books of the year. And, And so, I went in, like, prepared to like it, and then I walked away liking it even more than I thought I would. Um... It's a book that I'd put up there with either Educated by Tara Westover or The Glass Castle by Jeanette Wells in terms of read-alike potential. So this one has trauma in it for sure, but um, maybe less trauma than the two that I just mentioned. So the book follows um, May, the author, when she was young. Um, Her parents went through this really messy divorce following her mother's abusive outbursts towards her father. Her mom takes her and her brother to... um, Big Sur, California, to live with their grandparents. They used to live in Rhode Island, so she's taken the kids and left. Um, when they arrive in Big Sur, mom sort of just disappears. She is constantly in her room. She's going through these deep bouts of depression. She's really sort of absent altogether. And um, so May and her brother grow up under the watch of their grandmother, who's really demanding and quite unfriendly. And then... Um, Also, this man that they've only ever known as their grandfather, who is this really kind and generous, loving man who loves beekeeping. And so he encourages May to join him uh, while he's beekeeping, and he teaches her the ins and outs of honeybees. So woven through this story is um, sort of the art of beekeeping and how honeybees work a hive, all the different roles that bees have in building a hive, and um, also what it means to grow up. So... One of the pieces in the story that we discover later on is that um, the man that 
She believes it's her grandfather, the guy who's teaching her about the honeybees, is not actually her grandfather by blood. He's a step-grandfather, and it's through the discovery of this that um, some of the history of abuse and um, challenge in her family unravels, and um, she notices that this has been like a legacy in their family, these these abusive relationships and the challenging um, childhoods that many of uh, her blood relatives have had. Um, there's a lot of fear and anger throughout the story, but it's really tempered well with the magic of the bees and May's grandfather. Um, this book really touched me because it, um, reminded me a lot of my grandfather. I had a really great relationship with my grandfather growing up and I came from a family that had a lot of, um, stuff going on. <laughs> um, I guess is the best way to put it. And my grandfather is very much like, um, May's grandfather in terms of like always, um, my grandpa liked to go to the park all the time. He went like two or three times a day as much as he could. And um, I remember how magical it was when he would take me with him and um, go on these walks and, and meet people and hang around with nature. And so this book really, really got to my heart about the power of somebody like a grandfather in a family, whether or not they're blood related. Um, so again, that one is The Honey Bus by Meredith May. All right. So I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, and I'm pretty excited because it's Claire's book. Claire is a rioter, and she wrote a book, and I'm going to tell you about it now. It is called Unscripted by Claire Hanscom. Nobody is a bigger fan of actor Thomas Cassidy than Libby is. Nobody. That's why she's totally going to marry him. She's going to write a novel, name the main character after Tom, and find a way to get it to him. Intrigued and flattered, he will read it and ask to turn it into a movie. Their eyes will meet over the script and fade to black. But with four interwoven lives in play, can anything be that simple? Thoughtful, quirky, and moving, Unscripted is a story of friendship and second chances and ask the question, how far can you take your dream? So this is a smart beach read. It's set in both the UK and in the US. It's great for fans of One Day, Juliet Naked, and One Day in December. Um, it's inspired by Claire's own experience of fandom and love of the West Wing. Like, seriously, you can't have a conversation with Claire without her bringing up the West Wing and Bradley Whitmore. Like, she loves them. Uh, so she is a longtime Book Riot contributor, and she is British. She's the host of the BritLit podcast, a fortnightly show of news and views from British books and publishing. So the paperback is available now in the U.S. with free shipping from blackwells.com. And in the U.K., it's available in all the usual places. So congratulations to Claire. And again, it's called Unscripted, and we thank her for sponsoring. And now, oh, it's my turn again. Yay! Every time I stop talking, I'm like, what am I doing? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so my next pick, I'm very excited about. It's called Trust Exercise. It's by Susan Choi. I actually was, I saw it online mentioned, like, last fall. I was at a con book convention, and somebody mentioned it on Twitter, and I ran downstairs to the convention room where all the, the publishers were, and I was like, does anyone have this galley? And they were like, over here. It was awesome. It was a really <laughs> great, fun move. So this is sort of like lit fic for the Me Too movement. It's uh, it takes place in the 1980s in an American suburb. There are two uh, teenagers, Sally and David. They are freshmen at a competitive arts school. It's like this really super fancy school for like the most talented of the talented. Um, and they are both attending as freshmen. Uh, they meet and fall in love. And so they have to ditch their others. They each had a respective like boyfriend and girlfriend when they got there and so but they, they're destined to be together like it's like that kind of passion um and then here's where i can't really tell you anything else <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of hard to explain what happens next without giving too much away i will say that their relationship 
is invaded by the attentions of Mr. Kingsley, their drama teacher. Like, on the second or third page, you know, Troy says, he slid into the room like a knife, and that's kind of, like, foreshadowing. Like, it's just a great way to describe how invasive it is. And what Sally and David say happens isn't quite true, but it also isn't a lie. And so that's really all I can say about it. Um, it, But it's, like, it's about power dynamics between men and women, uh, teachers and students. Um, It reminded me a little bit of Asymmetry, like another fabulous lit fic novel from last year. Uh, And so trust exercise, if you're not familiar with the term, is if you ever had gym class, they probably made you do it, like where you have to like fall back and the the other kids have to catch you or, you know, like walk blindfolded, you know, around and have someone else like tell you how to move around. Um, And and they do it a lot in gym class. I know we did it in like Olympics of the Mind when I was a kid. That's how old I am because I don't even think it's called Olympics of the Mind anymore. It's like (laughs) Odyssey of the Mind. Um, And so... Reading this book is going to be a trust exercise for you. You just have to trust me. And it's not, like, I always hate saying this, but I I feel like it's true and should be said. Like, it's not going to be for everyone. But Jessica, one of our um, rioters, she made a good point. She said, you really should read half of the book before you decide if you're going to keep going. Because you're going to miss a lot of what's going on and not realize it um, if you don't give it that much of a chance. So... This is a really weird way to talk about a book, but it's excellent. Uh, so, again, it is called Trust Exercise, and it is by Susan Choi. I want to read that so bad. Yeah. It's good. My uh, next pick is In the Neighborhood of True by Susan Kaplan Carlton. It's a book I read a couple months ago that um, I read before the tragic killings of uh, Muslims in New Zealand. And uh, when the news was um, covering this, in, in the details that it was covering it, I couldn't stop thinking about uh, Carlton's book, which is a work of historical fiction, but it will forever be as contemporary as can be. It's set in the 1950s in Atlanta, and it um, starts when Ruth's father dies. She, her sister, and her mom move from New York City to where her mother used to live in Atlanta. And Ruth finds herself immediately fascinated with debutante culture. And so um, she's really striving to fit into her new town. And in doing so, she decides to hide the fact that she's Jewish. Um, Keeping this little lie tucked away starts to get more challenging for her, though, uh, especially as her mother insists that uh, she start attending temple. Uh, It's worth noting here that her mom is not Jewish, but her father was. And by her mother um, having her attend temple, it's a means of Ruth being able to stay connected to her faith. And then Ruth finds herself falling for a boy named Davis Jefferson. And yes, that name will be explained in the book. Um, After one of the debutante balls, Ruth and Davis decide they're going to sneak away for a night to one of his family cabins. And this happens to be the same night that her temple is filled with dynamite. As Ruth digs deeper and deeper, um, she realizes that she might actually know who's responsible for the horrible attack, and she realizes that because she has this knowledge, uh, she can't keep her faith hidden any longer, but it might cost her her friends and her place in um, debutante society. It's one of those books that's super immersive and engaging and really detailed about the 1950s South, and um, it doesn't shy away at all from racism or anti-Semitism. And it feels way too timely still. Um, It was really refreshing to read a book about a Jewish girl that's not set in World War II. 
And it also allows Ruth this opportunity to really question what it means to be Jewish in a culture where um, being Jewish is a target. The temple that she attends is very, very progressive. And one of the reasons that this particular temple becomes a target is that the rabbi was really encouraging his members to work towards racial integration. Um, and this is during a time when Jim Crow was still a matter of practice. Um, ultimately, it's a story about Ruth finding her voice and about... Um, that coming to that many readers will especially connect with, um, whether or not they had that moment when they were teenagers or as they sort of um, grew into their adulthood. And ultimately, Ruth is a really cool activist, and that paired with her desire for acceptance and desire to be part of this um, culture of the South, I think, really makes her this realistic and fascinating and multidimensional teen girl. And that is In the Neighborhood of True by Susan Kaplan Carlton. Okay, my next pick is called Nama by Sarah Blake. Um, not to be confused with Sarah Blake, who has the guest book coming out next month. I was reading a little bit on Twitter where she was talking about uh, like galleys for the guest book came out. And this Sarah Blake was getting all these congratulations. And she's like, no, that's not me. Um, <laughs> totally separate awesome book coming out next month. This is Sarah Blake who wrote Nama, which is amazing and mind-melting. It's the story of Noah and his ark, and I know this is going to come as a surprise for a lot of you, but I am not religious in the least. I have never read the Bible. I do not know anything really about it. I know a little bit about Noah's story. It's like, he built a boat, there's a big flood coming, animals get on, two by two, hands are blue, stuff like that. But, oh no, that's serenity. But it's like, <laughs> that's all I know. And I did not know his wife's name, although... Is that not true of most of history, right? Like, we don't know the mm -hmm. same. Um, although, I was reading a little bit after, and some people say she is unnamed in some of the tellings. So, I don't know. But it is such a gorgeous novel. Um, and it's really strange because it has this very modern feel, even though it's set a long time ago. It's just so poetic and lush. And like I said, it's a little bit surreal. So it's told from Nama's point of view. You know, she is the wife. She is the mother. The flood is coming. She is holding her family together. Um, it's very, very feminist. And it's, you know, about how, like, Nama is doing the hard work. You know, she's asking the hard questions. Like, you know, her husband says, like, you know, hey, I'm going to build this boat. Like, what would you say? You know, um, uh, really? You know? <laughs> like, it's, she's just, she's doing all, she's doing all the hard stuff. And it's, it's suspenseful, and it's erotic, and it's funny, and it just charmed me to pieces. I just, I cannot get over how amazing this book is. Um, it's just, it's like sinking in a warm bath. It's just so great. So again, it is called Nama, and it is by Sarah Blake. I will hit our second sponsor before diving into my next pick, and the sponsor is Books About Books. If you're looking for something to check off that Read a Book About Books box in the Read Harder Journal, we've got you covered. The Library of Lost and Found is the new, much-anticipated book by the author of The Curious Charms of Arthur Pepper. It's anticipated The Bookshop of Yesterday's was a runaway success when it first came out in 2018 and will be available in paperback on May 7th. Little Clan and Harry's Trees will both be available in paperback this summer. So get your shelf together with books about books. Park Row Books and Mirror Books will satisfy your inner book nerd. Check out The Library of Lost and Found by Phaedra Patrick, The Bookshop of Yesterday's by Amy Meyerson, 
The Little Clan by Iris Martin Cohen and Harry's Trees by John Cohen for bookish novels sure to please any bookworm. Thank you for sponsoring today's show. Awesome. I love books about books. My next pick is um, out in paperback today. Um, it's called You Go First by Erin and Trotta Kelly. And I've been wanting to read one of her books. Uh, she writes middle grade for a long time, uh, especially after she won the Newbery a couple years back. And I'm really glad I picked up this one. Uh, like I said, it's out in paperback today. So um, feel free to grab it and make it brand new to you because it was brand new to me. Um, this is a story about Charlotte and Ben, who know each other only through their online Scrabble game playing. Charlotte, who goes by Lottie, absolutely destroys Ben at the game, but they love to keep these games going. Um, Charlotte's dealing with quite a bit at home. Her parents are much older than the parents of her fellow classmates, and it's something she's always felt weird about. And it only sort of intensifies for her when her father has a heart attack and she begins to spiral into worry and fear and really sort of goes deep into herself. And um, in addition to that, she's dealing with a former best friend who's moving away from her. Um, and so Charlotte feels really, really alone. The second voice in the story is Ben's, and he is struggling with a surprise announcement from his parents that they're getting a divorce. Um it's then that Ben sort of realizes he has nobody around that he can share this news with. Um, he had wanted to go tell his parents this exciting thing that happened to him, and then he got delivered that news, and suddenly, like, he spirals because he's like, I have nobody to share either my great news with or now this, this terrible news. Um, but Ben believes that he can start making friends if he runs for his student council. Uh, so he decides he's going to take on this campaign, but he stopped over and over and over again thanks to this group of really mean kids who don't want him to succeed. Uh, but along the way, he's lucky enough to interact with another quote-unquote weird kid named Wyatt that he meets um, in the attendance office at his school. So throughout the story, uh, which takes place just in a single week, Ben and Charlotte don't tell each other anything that's going on, even though they have this great friendship and even though they're communicating multiple times a day. Uh, but it's ultimately this relationship via text messaging that brings Charlotte closer to her parents and uh, gets Ben this insight into how he can make make good friends with, with Wyatt, this kid that he's met. Um, it's a really compassionate and heart-rendering story with two really well-developed voices. Um, it hit me really, really hard, personally, since I felt a lot like both Charlotte and Ben in middle school. My parents were divorced. I felt lonely, sometimes friendless. And um, I think we've all dealt with kids who were just like flat out mean. Um, so reading this at an adult like took me right back to that place. And it was a reminder of how those feelings are really sort of near universal things that kids struggle with. And Erin um, and Trotta Kelly just does such a great job of, of capturing those feelings and experiences. And that is You Go First, by Erin Entrada Kelly. All right, my last pick is Phantoms by Christian Kiefer. It is a really powerful novel about accountability uh, and war and family. The main character is John Fraser. He is a Vietnam vet. Um, he learns that in World War II, the Japanese tenants on his family's farm, the Takahashis, were sent to an internment camp. And their son, Ray, was off fighting in World War II while this happened. And when he came back, he found out that his family was gone. And Ray himself disappeared, and nobody knows what happened to him. 
And as John is dealing with his own problems, he's, he kind of becomes obsessed with finding out, like, what happened to Ray. And also, just there's all these family secrets. Um, the Wilsons and the Takahashis used to be very close, and the war and what happened destroyed their friendship, but there are still these secrets that are uniting them. Um, it's It feels really, like, timely. It, it's just amazing. And it's about, like, also about, like, PTSD. Um, it's a very slow burn of a novel that uh, occurs over, like, several decades. Um, it's just fantastic. So that is called Phantoms, and it's by Christian Kiefer. So my last book is called Charged, Overzealous Prosecutors, The Quest for Mercy, and the Fight to Transform Criminal Justice in America by Emily Bazelon. Uh, I finished this one on the train last weekend and have been thinking about it since. It took me a really long time to read. Um, it's a dense book, but um, it was it was less that taking time and more that it's just a really frustrating um, a frustrating story to read. It's nonfiction. Um, Basilyn wrote a book a few years back about bullying and bullying culture that I really loved. Um, she's an investigative journalist, and her work in writing about the criminal justice case um, – for the um, newspaper she works for, was following this story of a girl named Nora Jackson in Memphis. She's a teenage girl. She was accused and imprisoned for killing her mother, despite the fact that there was no evidence to prove her guilt to this. Um, as Bazelon was digging more and more into this story, she really found her way through um, the criminal justice system and how many holes there are um, within it. And as she was learning more and more, she decided to, to create this book. And, and I'll come back to Nora Jackson in a second because she's part of the story. Um, I know very, very little about the criminal justice system as a whole, which um, is how I suspect most Americans who haven't been directly impacted by it uh, feel. I think a lot of us assume that things work the way we see them play out on television. There's a judge, there's a jury, there's a defendant. Um, but Bessalon's book really shows how untrue this portrayal is. Uh, most criminal cases are actually played out via plea bargains, which puts the power of justice not in a judge or jury's hands, but instead the hands of prosecutors, who um, more likely than not, depending what state you're in, uh, prosecutors are elected as opposed to appointed. And so there's this deeply political motivation for some, though not all, um, to quote-unquote win cases rather than to serve real justice. Um, the more wins it looks like they have, the better their political standing appears so they can continue to have this job. Um, so Bazelon does this really great job of explaining these systems and showcases how the criminal justice system is set up so that prosecutors... Um, over the last few decades, have taken on an increasingly powerful role in it. It's told primarily through two very different cases, one of a young black man in a rough area of Brooklyn and that of Nora Jackson from Memphis. And um, these two separate incidents show the power of prosecutors, um, how they can force plea bargains, and then ultimately how those hurt the accused, and set them up to be in a lose-lose situation, even if they're never found guilty of the crime for which they're being tried. Um, I had a vague idea about how bad mass incarceration was and what it looked like, but this was a real eye-opener in how it actually works. I think it's vital reading and one um, everybody should be reading, even though it is uh, challenging and dense. Bazelon does a good job of 
making it accessible and also like making you angry about it. Um, and that is charged overzealous prosecutors, the quest for mercy and the fight to transform criminal justice in America by Emily Bazelon. All right. Those are some great books. Got a lot of variety. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm very excited about them. So those are our new books. What are you going to read next? I am currently reading With the Fire on High by Elizabeth Acevedo, which is as great as her first book was. So I'm really excited to keep keep going. As soon as we finish the podcast, that's what I'm going to go do. The, the cover is just outstanding. The, yes. I mean, it's amazing. I actually bought... Um, because I'm very old, I bought a Pat Benatar t-shirt yesterday, and it's like the <laughs> same red as the cover of her book. Ooh. I was like, oh, it's with the fire on high red. It's like, it's amazing. <laughs> so, so good. I am going to read The Seven or Eight Deaths of Stella Fortuna by Juliet Grames, which I know nothing about except that I know that she is an editor at Soho Press, and she runs the Soho Crime imprint, and she's awesome. Uh, and this is her first novel, and so I'm the first little bit of the blurb says, for Stella Fortuna, death has always been a part of life. Stella's childhood is full of strange, life-threatening incidents. Moments when ordinary situations like cooking eggplant or feeding the pigs inexplicably take lethal turns. I'm sold. Absolutely. So, <laughs> that's exciting. And that is all for today. Reminder that if you want to get Banana Pants merchandise, you can do that at bookriot.com slash banana pants. Thank you to Unscripted by Claire Hanscom. Thank you to I Can't Believe It's Not Butter. And thank you to Park Park Row Books and Mirror Books for their books about books recommendations. If you want to reach out to us, you can drop us a line at allthebooks at bookriot.com. You can find us on Twitter. I am Miss Liberty. Kelly is Veronica Kelly Mars. That's B-E-R-O-N-I-K-E-L-L-Y-M-A-R-S. Uh, you can leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. That would be a nice treat. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading.